Good morning. I will fully explain the rice bowls in a few minutes. Until then, we'll see how many roll out into the aisle, and we will just uh, collect them as we go. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here. We are in part four of our series of spending someone else's money. Part four is going to be all about how we use the money that God has given us to manage and how we use it to give it to others who are in great need. Give it to the poor, the needy. That's where we're going to do it. I think it's real important uh, that we give a little bit of a cliff notes to weeks one, two, and three because they kind of leap forward. They help springboard us into this week. So I'd like to do that. Week one, Mario kicked off the series and by using this famous diagram that he made right here, did very creative. I would never attempt that. But he did this, and he said that really that this money, this green stuff that we're after, we're not really after this. We're really after the stuff that this stuff gives, and we use our time, we use our abilities, and we trade things and back and forth to get this, to go here. All of that was going on. And then at near the end of the service, we really were answering the question of whose money is it anyway? And the answer is it all belongs to God. And if there's a takeaway verse from that uh, week one sermon, it would be this, First Chronicles chapter 29, 11, and 12. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. That includes the air that we breathe to do the work and the talents that we have, right? Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and give strength to all. There's a great summary verse of week chapter 1, that everything that exists belongs to God. And then week two, we again used the same diagram here. It was Mother's Day. The stage was full of people, babies being dedicated. And and when we finished that, we went into the second week, which was about investing internally. And again, we used the same idea, this chart right here, that the money that we get, the stuff that we get, the time that we have, the abilities that we have, our possessions that we have, use all of that in a way that is going to invest into eternity. Like what we spend now is okay, especially if it's going to lead to something that's going to be invested for eternity. And the idea again would be from Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. Invest in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Week three, last week, addresses one of the ways that we could give, that we could give this type of invest internally, is to give money to the church, specifically this church, Good News Church. And though you had permission to skip, hundreds of you showed up anyway. And if you are back from missing, we missed you. God, good to see you back. And we taught that the idea of giving to the church isn't so much determined by a percentage or a tithe, but it really has to do with the attitude of our hearts. Give generously, give willingly, give sacrificially, give cheerfully. And we base that on Matthew chapter 22, 37 and 38. This would be a great summary verses for week three. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all of your soul and with all of your mind, this is the greatest and most important command. And when we love God that way, we will give to what God's work is all about. And the church is His church. 
Not Mario's church, not Doug's church, or whatever other pastor name, church. That's not it at all. It is God's church. People. And then today, part four, would be like the second most important command. Matthew 22, 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the specific neighbor that we have in mind today is the neighbor who is poor and in need. And I'm defining our neighbor as anyone in our proximity with whom we can share God's love, God's money, and God's resources. And based on air travel and the internet and online giving, nearly every human being on the planet is in our proximity in one way or another, if you think about it. From Wakala to Timbuktu, they're all reachable. They're all our neighbor. That's the approach that good news, the church, takes as a whole. And today, I want, I want, to, I want to preach, teach on the idea of compassionate giving individually, each and every person doing that. But before I do that, I, wanted to, I want you to see just how good news does this as an organization. Because, like, if you are a giver to good news, and I hope you are, and I hope you do it willingly and cheerfully and sacrificially and all that, and if you are, don't you want to know what happens to your money? Like, hey, what happens? I put it in that box back there. I give it online, but what, what, what happens? Like, being a good steward is knowing where the money's going and, how it, and what's happening with it, right? So you don't want to know about it nearly as much as 915 did. Do you want to know about it? Okay, I'm not going to tell you all of it, but I'm going to tell you where 11% of it goes. 11% of it goes to what we call mercy and missions. Mercy is the idea of giving to the poor and the needy. Missions is the idea of giving the gospel to people. And there are times where the mercy ministries and the mission ministries cross and overlap where they do both. So right here, there's a chart that's on the screen. As of April 2022, so last month, the books are up to date. These are the organizations that we have given to this so far this year. More could get added, all right, as, as need comes, as we're aware of things, etc. 11% interfaith, emergency services, primarily is a ministry of mercy. We give food to people who are in need and clothes and shelters and blankets and all those types. Every now and then, the gospel gets put in there. But as a whole, the interfaith emergency is mostly a mercy ministry, and we do that locally. Share the love. Summer camps for the neglected and abused. Ever heard of summer love around here? Woo, well, we we about ready to load up and go in June. And it is an outreach ministry for both I say the poor, the needy, and we give the gospel. Wear Gloves Incorporated, ministry to the homeless in, Ota- in Ocala, downtown. It's local. Young Life. Uh, oh, wait, yes, where is Young Life? Raise that hand. Did I hear Young Life? Somebody just wooed. No one's going to admit it now? Can you do that? In the 915 service, there's a whole row of Young Life. And the idea there, again, it is a camp that focuses on young people. We say it's local, but really, Young Life is pretty broad. There's a lot of Young Life camps all around. We at Good News, we invest into that. And you go all the way down this list. Unlimited discipleship. Strong uh, ministry for marriages. Tampa Muslim outreach. Barnabas aid. Helping, assisting persecuted Christians. Acts 29. That's a church planning organization that would follow much like of how we do at Good News. We would say, ooh, let's go make Good News in another place, in another place. And so we give money, and that would be more on the mission side of it. 
Compassion International, Women's Pregnancy Center, Pioneer USA equips Christians to be missionaries around the world. It is non-local. And right now, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but right now, as I speak, we have a family that is doing that right now. They are in an unnamed part of the world, checking out the team that they are about ready to go and serve with for the next who knows how long years, and they are going to be there for the purpose of helping the people in that land and sharing the gospel with them, U.S. pioneers. All the way through, middle, uh, Marion County Public Schools outreach, we provide Bibles and snacks occasionally, and then we got the Samaritan's Purse, provides aid to the people in physical need, mark it all down through the first quarter of the year, if you will, towards April, the total there is $28,820.21 of, <laughs> of money as the church that has collected that we have given out for the purpose of helping the poor and the needy. If you give to good news, I think you should know about that kind of giving. I think you should absolutely, yeah, clap, celebrate this kind of giving. I think this shows what we value when we're going to spend money, use our time and our abilities to this. Kids in foster care, homeless people, children in third world countries, Muslim outreach, church planning, unwed mothers, persecuted Christians. That's what we are about in giving to the poor and giving in need of missions here at Good News. And I realize that I am dabbling about giving to the church, and that was all last week, so I'm leaving that now, okay? We're going to now transfer this to this week is how do we compassionately give to people in need, and how do we get to do it individually? I hope we can do three things today. One, define the word poor. And it is not as easy as it may sound. Second thing I want us to do is obviously look at the Bible, and see what it has to say about poor people. And third, I want to close with giving you an opportunity about helping children in third world countries, and that's going to explain the rice bowl that you are sitting on or next to. First, defining the word poor. The reason that it's a hard word to define is because of the standard that we use to define it. For example... I'm a little bit of a sports guy, and I remember not too long ago, the head football coach at the University of Florida got fired. And there were people like, ooh, that's really bad. What's he going to do for work? He doesn't have a job. Oh, he's poor. And then when you find out the whole deal with it, you realize that his firing includes a $12 million buyout. Six million was due within the first 30 days, and now he is currently, this year, will receive $1 million for the next six years to total $12 million. Now, if that's the definition of poor, who wants to be signed up for that? Man, some of y'all are really hardcore. What do you need, 30, 30 million? But that example is pretty much the description of how America poor looks compared to the rest of the world. What America calls poor would be extreme wealth to most of the world. As a matter of fact, I put a slide here that shows you that we Americans, we are the king of the hill when it comes to the richest nation in the world. And when you are the richest nation in the world, sometimes it is hard to realize that this other stuff 
exists. That poverty, real poverty, exists. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know it exists in America. But as a whole, it is on a grand, bigger scale. 85%. How much? Percent. Thank you. Of the world lives on less than $30 a day. 66.7% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. Just under 46% of the world's population lives on $5.50 a day. And this just blows me away. One out of every 10 people in the population lives on less than $1.90 a day. That's extreme poverty. Unless you live on the street next to good news, it costs you more than that to get here today. Do you know that $34,000 a year Thirty-four k annually puts a person in the elite of the elite, in the one percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. Thirty-four thousand dollars. So let me show you my math skills. If thirty-four percent, thirty-four thousand is one percent of the top elite, that means that 99% of the world's population makes less than 34,000. So just establishing a definition of poor can be challenging for us as we live in the wealthiest nation of them all. But to do my best, here is the definition that I'm going to use. A person can be called poor when they earn an income that does not fully cover their necessities. And then you get back into the question of what's a necessity? What, 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 what's really needed? So it's not an easy definition to come up with. When Merriam-Webster defines poor as lacking material possessions, less than adequate, small in worth, inferior in quality or value, lacking normal or adequate supply of something, characterized by poverty. It almost seems like an asterisk should come at the end of that. Because America poor is not the same as African or Afghanistan poor. I guess I'm saying all this to you and to me now is because the reality is it's highly doubtful that anybody in here is that kind of poor. When, when you read Bible verses in the Bible that talk about rich people and you talk about poor people, we would be wise to put ourselves in the rich category spot, which means we should be very, very aware of the warnings that are in Scripture about being rich. We should take very seriously about the commands that are given as rich people to give to the poor. And I'll even say that even if a person checks the box of a poor person, there's still not an excuse not to give to others. Like last week, we looked at the Macedonian churches, and they were commended 
for their generous giving despite being in extreme poverty. So that's the definition that we're going to use when a person earns an income that does not cover all of their necessities. Now, what does the Bible say about poor people? First, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, first part of verse 11. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. And Jesus echoed the same exact message in Matthew 26, 11. You will always have the poor with you. So one of the first things we need to say that the Bible says about the poor people is that they are going to forever be a part of our society. They were there at the very beginning of the days. They are obviously here now, and they will continue to the end of the days. And if that is true, then what does the Bible say is the plan to help them? What do we do about this situation? What's the game plan here? Well, back to Deuteronomy 15, after declaring that there will always be poor people in the land, a command was given. There will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you. You must, be, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. And it doesn't change in the New Testament. The New Testament says the exact same message. James chapter 2, 15 and 16. Suppose that you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Well, that's the easiest question that you're going to be asked all day. What good does it do to say goodbye to a cold, hungry, starving person? And the answer is nothing. Both the Old and the New Testament make it very clear that God's desire for other people, especially Christians in the New Testament, makes it very clear that God's desire is to show compassion to the poor and the needy. Poverty is widespread. Poverty is devastating. There, like, there's no doubt about this. You cannot approach me after this time together here and say, well, let's talk about it. Does poverty really exist? Obviously, it exists. And God's people cannot be indifferent towards those who are in need. That's the message all throughout Scripture are his expectations for us to care for the poor. The book of Proverbs, it just rattles off all kinds of ways and ideas and thinking when it comes to the poor and caring for them. I'm going to give you just one. Proverbs 14.31. The one who oppresses. A person who oppresses, that's a person who treats people cruelly. He treats people abusively. He or she treats people unjustly. The one who treats the poor person like that insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honors him. The one who is kind to the needy honors God. And honoring God is what a Christian's life is all about. And you can't be indifferent about that. We are commanded to give to the poor. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 gives to me one of the most jaw-dropping illustrations of how important 
how serious it is to give to the poor and the needy. I want to read it to you. You follow along. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus, and all of the angels with him, and then he sits on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Got it? Jesus on his throne, all the nations come together, and he is going to separate them. Not by nationality, not by like we see in the Olympics and everyone comes marching in with the American flag and then come in, come in the Germans and, all right, take your spots. That's not how he's shepherding. That's not how he's separating them. He's separating them into two groups, two categories. And again, remember, they lived in an agricultural day, and so here's the wordings that he used. He, shepherd, he separates them into sheep and goats. Verse 33. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Whoa! What this must look like. What's going on here? Why, why are these sheep getting this? What do they do? Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. That certainly sounds like a definition of poor that we are trying to establish earlier. Verse 37. Then the righteous, and let me stop there and say, there is only one way that a person can be declared righteous. And that is by the work of God. That when God declares you righteous because you put your faith and your trust in him. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Every time a person, a Christian, cares for the poor, it is as if you're caring for Jesus himself. And let me be clear. Because this may sound like, ooh, if I do these good works, I get this inheritance. And that is not what is being taught right here. This is because they are saved, they are declared righteous. Because they are saved, they care and help for the poor. Nobody earns this type of an inheritance. And when we read a passage like this, it requires a self-evaluation. Am I indifferent to the poor? Because Jesus continues in verse 41. 
Then Jesus the King will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you think Jesus would make up a statement like this if it was not real? It is becoming more and more popular for our society to dismiss the idea of an eternal fire. To dismiss the idea of, oh, is there really a devil with angels? Does Jesus really curse somebody? What you do with Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, what you place your faith in really, really matters. Jesus is talking about this kind of stuff? Heaven? Jesus is talking about sheep? Like they really live there for eternity? This is their inheritance? And he's really talking about the complete opposite of that? Eternal fire? The word for today is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'm just going to pray. Can we do that? Pray. Father, don't let us misconstrue this as meaning good works of the sheep factored into their gaining salvation. But rather that these works are evidence of being saved by grace. Like this is the fruit that the Bible talks about. We do, we do stuff, people do stuff like this because of their salvation. Help us to remember that we were created to do good works that, that you planned for us to do. And yet, Father, at the same time, I can't help but think that you use verses like this to convict people. And you, you use them to draw people to yourself. Someone who says, I know God, but does not do what he commands, like helping and being and giving to the poor, is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's the words that you said. Father, if these words and verses here are shedding light on this truth, to anyone in this room, Lord, I ask that you would be gracious, gracious to them, that you would save them, redeem them, bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was thinking as I was praying there, what a person might say with, I know a lot of people who, who give to the poor. There's a lot of great agencies out there who help with world hunger and things, but they don't do anything with like associated with being a Christian. They just want to do it because it's a need and, and they want to be a good person to that. And I get that and we need that and that's a blessing. 
those people who are receiving that. But the difference there is the motivation of the heart. A Christian believer gives to the poor because of their love that they have for God, and because of that, they follow the command of helping others. Jesus modeled that when he was here on this earth. That's really the difference between the two kinds of giving. There are a lot of people, sadly, who will give and give and give, and when it's all said and done, if you ask them why they give, some of them will even include, well, I want it to be counted good for me when I stand before my maker. And that is not the way a person enters into heaven. It is by grace that we are saved and through faith. When I was preparing this week, that was my cutoff. But I had a lot of other... Wow. Yeah. I had this stack of stuff like, wait, we're still supposed to talk about this and giving to the poor. And so I'm going to just summarize very quickly what I didn't get to share with you today. The poor and the begging lame man in Acts chapter 3. I wanted to tell you about that situation that, that Peter and John were going to the temple to pray and they met a lame man on the way and the lame man said, hey, give me money. And Peter responded with, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I'm going to give to you. Rise up and walk. And the lame man got up and walking and leaping and praising God. And the point of that is this. When we have opportunity to give to the poor, and we do have that opportunity, we should, as often as possible, include the greater gift. And that's the gospel. Include the gospel with our giving. What good does it do to feed a person their entire life and never say the gospel to them? So when opportunity is available, share the gospel. Second thing I didn't get to tell you about is Luke chapter 21, where Jesus and his disciples are watching people give money in the temple. And, and here come by people, wealthy people, giving lots of money, it sounds like, and a widow who gives two very low-valued coins, like pennies. But that's all she has. And I think there's two examples here that, that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and now to teach us, and that's this, that even the poor people can help give to even other poor people. And the second example I think that we're looking here is that either Jesus doesn't know math very well or he does it in a different way than we think because he said that she gave more than they did. And that's not true when you add up the money but there was a point that he was making about the attitude of giving sacrificially to the poor. I think that's important for us to know. And the third thing I didn't get to is Matthew chapter 5. And there's this phrase that says, give to those who ask. And my mind went right away to panhandlers. And I don't know about you, this is a very strugglesome point for me. 
And it was a convicting point throughout the week. I, I, I am so judgmental. I think they're lazy. I, I think that they have misuse of money issues. Like I know they're just going to go buy some illegal drugs and booze and spend it poorly. My attitude's bad enough to say that when there's a pet sitting there, I'm like, should they even own a pet? I mean, that's Alpo dog food that could be spent for something else that they could use. And I just know, I've heard about these reports. Someone is just going to rip me off and drive, or walk around the corner and drive off in a BMW. And I know that some people have even experimented and done that to see what kind of giving panhandlers make which comes out to about 8 to $15 an hour. And then God convicted me of this, and I'm going to pass it on to you because maybe you're in my boat, and that is this. That is on them. You be faithful to give to the beggar who asks. I will give an account to my maker of how we help the beggars. The beggars will give an account of how they begged. I get that. And the second principle that I think it's really important to talk about here is, oh, Doug, are you saying that we just, every time I go to Newberry Exit at the Oaks Mall, have you seen how many are there that I have to give? Man, there's like 12 of them. Here you go, here you go, here you go. That's not what I'm saying, because I think the second part there is, is God's word tells us to use discernment in this. There are actual times where God, being led by the Holy Spirit, would say, do not give, or don't give money. Maybe we should stock our trunks with bottled water, and bags of chips, and fruit. At the 915 service, someone came up to me and said, I literally carry blankets and pillows in my trunk. And I give that. Use God's discernment in our giving. There would be times when it would be bad to give them money. God, God is able to tell us when to give and when not to. Let's lean in on him doing that for us. That's what I didn't get to talk about, but kind of did. The rice bowl. That's what it's supposed to model, by the way. Everyone, if you would, please pick one up. Put it on your hand, and let me explain this to you. <clears throat> I would like to give you personally an opportunity to give to orphan children. Be a compassionate giver. The Rice Bowl organization was founded in South Carolina. It now is uh, it's 54 faith-based children orphanage homes throughout eight countries of some of the poorest countries in the world. And 100% of their food in these orphanages come from ricebowl.com. Pretty cool. It started by a man who took a mission trip to India. And when he got there, he was devastated by the poverty that was around him. It moved him to the core, to the soul of a person. And when he came back to the United States, he started this fund of 
rice bowls. Here's how it works. The bowl that you're holding in your hand. Oh, help me here. Everybody hold it up like this. There you go. That right there represents what two-thirds of the world will eat today. This represents what we've already had to eat today. You follow me? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not twisting an arm. I'm just making some comparisons. That two-thirds of the world will eat this much food today. I'm asking you to set it on your dinner table. I do hope that you eat dinner at a table. I encourage that with your family. I was first induced to these rice bowls about 15 years ago. No, 20 years ago. Oh, I'm getting so old. 20 years ago. It literally changed our family's perspective on food for a while. And we're bringing it back to our house with this introduction. Set it on your table. It radically changed the attitudes of our family when we sat down to the dinner and a child would say, oh, this is what we're having for dinner? (laughs) And then you hold up the bowl and say, two-thirds of the world is getting this. And then the other popular thing that happened was, can we go out and play now? Well, finish your food first. Oh, i got to eat everything? (laughs) Two-thirds of the world would devour what you have on your plate. In one study that I was looking at, a restaurant recorded how much meat they threw away in one year. It was like over two tons in America, just to the dumpster, probably could be eaten. Two-thirds of the world, folks, are eating this. So I'm asking that you put this on your table, that you pray for the children who you don't even know that might be receiving this money, and that you would put money inside this little slot. I think about 20 bucks would fit here in quarters. I'm pretty sure a dollar bill can be folded up and put in here. I'm really sure that you could probably, if you could fold a $1 bill, you could probably fold a $100 bill, bills, and put in here. I part jest and I'm part serious. Like, we should give to the poor. And then what I'd like for us to do is you collect this And then as this series ends, which will be June 12th, this is week four of seven, June 12th, I would like to have a little bit of a spot in the back, a little display, bring your bowl back, full of whatever, and let's collect it. And let's write a check, because we're not going to send all the bowls. Can you imagine shipping for $20 a quarter? That would not be a good steward of our resources. It would not be a good steward of the people who provided these bowls, which, by the way, this costs nothing to good news. Like, oh, Doug, you spent a lot of money. No, we did not. Let's collect the money and send it to orphan children who need to eat. And it comes with the gospel. We send it with the gospel. And then, as a parting gift, the bowl is yours to keep. You could do it again. You could say, hey, family, let's, let's fill it up for interfaith this time. Let's just fill it up and have it in the car so when we come to the panhandler, we'll have something. Let's just keep building it. Maybe we won't see anything for a few months, which seems hard to believe, but if you don't, 
You get the idea? I'm asking for this to be a visual kickstart for us to be a compassionate giving church to the poor and the needy. Can you imagine if in Marion County every Christian person was living looking for the needs of helping the needy? And then in Florida and then in the United States, the wealthiest nation in the world, the impact that the gospel can have on others. I didn't mention it in the first service, but I want to mention it again. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was selling and giving things and giving to one another, the part that moves me the most in that is the very last verse that says this, and the Lord added to the church. Why were they being added to the church? Because of the giving of the people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your instructions to us. I ask that we would be obedient, like radical obedient in doing this. I thank you again for the conviction that you brought into me as I studied and prepared and to do this. Father, I pray that these rice bowls on the way home would make conversations for families in here who have kids right now in Kids Zone who haven't even seen the rice bowl yet. And when they get in the car, they say, Dad, what's this rice bowl all about? And then parents get to explain, oh, there are a lot of people who don't have food to eat and we're going to help. Give it. But let, let it be a way of fostering even into the next generation people who are willing to follow your word and to give to the poor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.